Happy November, folks. How do you be? VegCast. I am Vance here with VegCast 73. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, as promised, we are back with another full menu podcast for VegCast 73 after our exceptional Podcast 72. This time around, we're going to pay a visit to Chinoa Manor, which is a farm animal and exotic animal sanctuary out in uh, Chester County in uh, the Delaware Valley. We'll be uh, seeing what's going on out there on uh, their day of open house uh, that occurred back in mid-October, just getting this one processed again because of uh, that shoehorning of VegCast 72 in between, uh, but that's not all we have on the full menu. We will also have a review of Jonathan Safran Furr's Eating Animals, uh, a book that is uh, quickly making waves in the mainstream uh, mass media world. We're also going to hear some vegetarian music from Maggie of Maggie, Pierce, and EJ. You'll recall we had EJ on a prior podcast a few podcasts ago. Now we have Maggie uh, coming up on this one, and we have a science fact that uh, kind of takes off a little bit from what we were talking about in VegCast 72, but is an entirely new and different study. So all that's going to be coming up, and of course, as always, I urge you to turn up your MP3 player, sit back, relax, and let us deliver to you this 73rd And VegCast 73 is, of course, sponsored by Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss, who remind you there are many ways to achieve bliss. We use... Oh, sorry, did I step on your tail? Uh, we use coconuts. Let's go right now over to Chinoa Manor. The scene is a small farm just outside of Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, in Chester County on a somewhat drizzly morning, a Saturday morning in mid-October, and as you can hear, people are preparing. This is uh, right around the beginning of the open house day, a band practicing, people setting things up, uh, tables, uh, exhibits, uh, some activities for kids. You can hear some animals now and then. Uh, in the background, and we are going to start by talking with the man who founded Chinoa, which is, of course, Dr. Rob Teddy. Rob Teddy, thanks for joining us on VegCast. We're here at Chinoa Manor, the uh, farm animal sanctuary out here in uh, in Chester County. Uh, not the best day for a, for a big... Uh, you know, open house and everything, but you're you're going to make the best of it, right? We make the best of what we can, yes. And what what exactly is this occasion? I mean, what's what's the the actual concept here? Um, well, typically, we try to do an annual event, usually in the fall, and this particular event we're focusing on the youth component uh, that we have here at Chino Manor, as well as the the animal sanctuary part. So we've tried to center of the day as much around youth activities as possible, featuring youth exhibit, uh, a youth art exhibit where a lot of the artwork is inspired by the inner city kids' experience here with uh, the animals at Chinoa Manor. Okay. So, do you have a, are there like uh, bunches of kids being coming out here from town, or is it just people from around 
Avondale, maybe Chester. What's the what are you expecting today? Oh, as far as for today goes, yeah. um, essentially anything goes. We've got okay. I know people coming from Philadelphia. People have flown in from Cincinnati, Ohio, to come down. Wow. Um, there are people coming down from upstate New York, uh, and a few from uh, I believe Virginia as well. Wow, that's great. You're pulling them in from everywhere. Um, and uh, how large is uh, the the property here? How large is the Sanctuary. Here we have 25 acres. Okay. And about how many animals at any given time? There is a population of 250 animals. Okay. And so right now you're in the midst of kind of a, a fundraising drive. I mean, we, we keep seeing Ed Coffin especially is, is beating the bushes uh, on Facebook and Twitter saying, get out here to, to know a man Correct. or help him raise. Is that, is that uh, tied to any particular, like capital project or just yep you hit the nail on the head there is a capital project that we're trying to do our uh, bank barn is 200 years old and in very good condition but we really want to renovate it so that we have even more room for animals as well as putting in a a floor strictly for the uh, kids to be able to come and have an exhibit uh, for their own to work on art projects here as well okay so is today you're going to get people out here looking at the animals and then kind of give them the hard sell and say now listen don't you leave here without signing a check i wish i could be that hard but (laughs) but i'm i'm too much of a pushover when it comes to things like that okay well let me just ask you how did you are the founder of genoa right correct so how did basically how did that happen that you you have a a veterinary background is that i I am veterinary yes and did you get acquire that uh that discipline after launching it or what was the sequence the um veterinary component was something i knew i was always going to do from a very young age and it was probably my early teens when i thought i really wanted to do something more than just be a veterinarian where the veterinary component could help fund another project and the other project was to have a sanctuary for both um, animals specifically exotics as well as farm animals in addition to um, teenagers specifically because there seems to be such an innate connection with youth and animals that starts out at a very young age but at some point socially it tends to get diluted and we get very far removed from that which is the most pure and the most uh, just the essence of, of our lives so we get unattached essentially from, from nature and animals exactly yeah. so this is to try to, to bring everything back together great and so what is the the Usual. I mean, you're not usually just open to the public on a regular basis, but when people come out and you Correct. have dance, what is the usual practice? If people come out here, you take them around, they they meet animals, do you have them do chores have, or what? We uh, have monthly tours, um, seasonally, that start up in the spring and go to this time of the year, uh-huh. um, once a month, sometimes twice a month. And they just come strictly for a tour just to meet some of the animals. If people want to sign up for a personal volunteer day, we can arrange that as well, where they actually come and work with the animals. We're not open to the public on a regular basis just because we have so many activities with um, teenagers that we have to really limit the the exposure of um, just the general public to to other people. And let me just ask, do you happen to know who it is that keeps laughing at us while we're doing No, I'm doing not sure who's, who's, who's <laughs> piping in the background. I just wanted to be able to credit them when we uh, when we put the whole podcast together. All right, well, that's. Uh, I know you got a lot to do, and we're about out of time, but thank you for talking with us on VegCast. Thank you very much. Okay, great.
Now, I have to say, I do have some experience uh, after living in Key West of uh, hearing a lot of rooster calls, and I just found it interesting. This is the first time I've heard uh, roosters that make a sound that can actually be transliterated as cockadoodle do. Uh, the ones in Key West are more. So that's not exactly relevant to Chinoa Manor, but it is evident that there are regional accents among animals as well as uh, people. But back to our interviews, we're going to talk now with Michelle Dirks. Uh, we're talking with Michelle Dirks here at Chinoa Manor, and I understand you are uh, kind of in charge of uh, the program where you bring the, the inner city kids out here. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's called Pegasus Artworks, and it was developed in 2002 um, by the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware and the criminal justice system, where they thought the most likely time where kids got into trouble was right after school. So they developed after-school programs where they brought in professional artists to mentor kids. And it's a two-year program, and the artists stay with a particular group of children for up to two years. Okay. And within that, they've discovered that the crime rate in an area where there's a boys and girls club and these programs goes down 60%. Great. And their grade levels go up. Now, and do you think that that's uh, particularly, you know, due to them being around animals or just that they have something to do? Um, this is an art program called Pegasus, but what we're doing right now is actually bringing them to Chinoa Manor. Okay, so the art program in general, it doesn't necessarily involve bringing them here. It's just them we doing the art. We have developed this in the last few months, bringing them here. Yeah. And yes, I think it is a huge difference within the children, uh, especially African-American children who are not used to being on farms. Right. And their experience initially is, ew, it's disgusting, it's dirty, to the point where they love the mud, they love grooming the animals, <laughs> and it's become second nature. All right. And what, uh, do you have any... Uh, Let's see, we're kind of just kicking off the, the school year here, a month or so into the school year. Is This this is going on now for the 2009 We have a bunch of grants, and we're using Chinoa Manor as the um, site where um, the next year the work I'm doing with uh, children in Wilmington and Coatesville is to do with the natural environment. Okay. So we're actually, right now, uh, in May, uh, Dr. Rob Teddy gave me the sheared sheep. I now have a local farmer who has showed me how to card it, and I have the children carding it and felting it into products. Right, okay. Then we are going to take the clay, and actually that's what we're doing right now. We're, uh, I have a ceramist with me. We're looking for the proper clay from the White Clay River, and we are actually going to learn about the river, um, the science in the river, and then actually make the beads into clay. Uh, beads and we're going to sell the beads. The kids are going to come up with a logo and entrepreneurial skills to sell it to make money for Rob's barn. Beautiful. All right. Well, you're right in the middle of that and I stopped you just uh, to get some audio, so I appreciate you taking time out. I know it's a busy time right now, but uh -huh. Michelle, thanks for talking you're on Bearscast. Okay. Now, Michelle mentioned the wool that they get from the sheep at the animal sanctuary, and we are going to end our visit to Chinoa Manor by stopping by the table of Green Art to Go, where that wool ends up, and talk to Elizabeth. All right, we're talking with Elizabeth from Green Art to Go, and you uh, 
I would, we were asking uh, about what you have on this table in this display area, and you were just explaining about the wool that you got from the sheep on this farm. The sheep on this farm. Okay. Michelle Dirks um, works with inner city kids, and she works, um, her kids come and work on the farm, and church farm school come, kids come and work on this farm. And she started collecting some of the wool from the sheep. We had it carded and cleaned. And then Michelle, myself, and Sally have decided to put a little business together, um, making wool kits for kids. Um, inner city kids would be great for them to use it too because they've never touched wool. Just get them back to nature, touching the fibers, working with the fibers. A natural craft for them to do. Plus, if they come to the farm, they can um, see the sheep, see where it came from, instead of just... Putting on a wool sweater, you know where it started and how it ends. Right. And so this is a craft that they can do. Um, three different kits we have. We want to extend it. It's green art to go, and she uses that with her inner city kids when she does artwork. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And now let me ask in terms of wool. Uh, you know, a lot of animal people will say, well, we should just we should avoid wool entirely. Are the are the sheep here being sheared? Yeah, they get sheared. Yeah. It's very. They're very gentle with them when right. they shear it, and okay. um, then it has to be cleaned and carded right. and made into a softer wool that they can that they can use. And it doesn't hurt the sheep, and they grow it back every year. Right. It's just like when we get a haircut. Well, it grows back every year. It's very similar to that. Well, if I got a, a buzz cut, let's say. I don't like buzz yeah. cuts. But, well, uh, I think in the me. summer they're pretty hot, and that's yeah. typically when they do it, in right. the summer and... Towards the fall, it goes back pretty quick. That was my concern too. Right, right. And, okay. Um, and so this is just a really nice type of craft to get them back to nature. To, right. You know, get back to the texture, the feeling, um, working with their hands, using their own imagination. Um, no screens or anything. Just all, you know. Right. All really natural. Really fun. Very safe. All ages can do it. And and so you've also got you've got pipe cleaners with wool people who are making Some, like furry snakes. Make, Is that the concept? If they want to make snakes that they can bend and shape, they'll yeah. use the pipe cleaners, which are similar to this. Yeah. Um, and then some of the other ones um, are just really loose. And then we're also you can make a bracelet, and we do a little piece knot for girls who don't want to snake or guys. You can have a little bracelet, tie a little knot, and you have this nice little right. natural bracelet. The balls are wonderful. They're very safe, easy to play with. They use them for all different things. Okay. Um, decorations, sweater ties, just to play with. They can get wet and dry. It's no problem. And they start with a chunk of wool, and they make a product. Beautiful. It's pretty amazing. Okay. Great. Well, that's green art to go. Green art to go. All right. You can find out more about Chenoa Manor, including an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer that came out while this podcast was being prepared in our show notes at VegCast.com. Jonathan Safran Four. Eating Animals. 
Jonathan Safran Foer is a novelist known for the books Everything is Illuminated and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. He's also a vegetarian, near vegan, who has written a book, Eating Animals, that stands to deliver a provocative pro-animal message to a wider audience than has heard it so far. If the in-your-face title attached to his well-regarded name isn't enough, Four has been repackaging parts of it to various media, ranging from a Swiftian op-ed on CNN to family reminiscences in the New York Times magazine, all while doing the traditional readings and talk show appearances that go with any book tour. Now, I'm focusing on Four's exhaustive efforts and potential to spread such a message because it's the context for this assessment. Eating animals may be the best book for animal advocacy since animal liberation. In other words, although there are books I would rate more highly in the abstract, and Fors does have issues, which I'll get into, eating animals in the way it's positioned within our pop culture might well do as much good, get as many new people thinking seriously about what they're eating, as did Peter Singer's mid-70s classic. So, is the book itself any good? Yes, it is. It's very good. Veggie people who think they won't find anything new or illuminating in it should reconsider. On many familiar issues, Four is able to bring a fresh phrasing and a memorable repackaging that makes these issues hit as hard as they deserve to. One quote after saying that it is conceivable that some cow or pig you might be eating might have possibly... Uh, not suffered in its death throes. He goes on to say, No fish gets a good death, not a single one. You never have to wonder whether the fish on your plate had to suffer. It did. Four ties the issue of changing one's diet to reflect one's own moral convictions to his family history, starting with his early memories of his grandmother's cooking and arriving at the birth of his son, which prompts him to re-examine his flexitarianism and commit himself to vegetarianism, especially after his research and nighttime factory farm visits make him vividly aware of how terrible most animals have it. He argues that factory farms should be illegal and details the atrocities that are standard procedure in confined animal feeding operations. And he has observations on the myth of consent that are fresh and trenchant. At the same time, he applauds smaller family farmers like the Nymans of Nyman Ranch and Frank Reese of Heritage Turkeys. He won't eat their products, but wants to promote them, especially to people who may be disgusted by his factory farm revelations, but not yet ready or able to quit all meat. This is where Ford's moral compass needle starts wobbling. He knows money he persuades readers to transfer to these farmers will go to killing animals, and that the farmers will turn around and purchase at least some factory farmed meat and dairy with it. Moreover, Four's idyllic alternative to factory farmed animals shows cracks in the facade even within his own telling. There are several troubling details troubling to him in the Paradise Meats slaughter facility he visits, and he shares how Nyman Ranch forced its own founder, Bill Nyman, out of the company just before eating animals went to press. Uh, he says, Nyman Ranch remains the only nationally available brand that I can say represents a robust improvement in the lives of animals, pigs much more than cattle, but how good would you feel sending your money to these people? Later on that same page, Four says, this is not a complicated position. Well, 
If not, I must be a simpleton because I'm still scratching my head over it. It seems as though Four has fallen for the hype of clean coal. No coal is or can be clean, it's just cleaner than regular coal. And he mistakes practices that are less inhumane for something humane, which killing animals, no matter how much grass they get to romp on forehand, can never be. So, there's a philosophical problem to the book, a lack of total consistency and rigor in which he could stake his argument. But, Eating Animals is still well worth reading and worth recommending to non-veg friends. It's not just for the wealth of information and fascinating stories that pack the book. Jonathan Safran Four has arranged all of it into an accessible, compelling read that should serve as the starter for a good many overdue conversations.
Always laughing, sometimes crying. That is Sugar Monkey by Him For Her, otherwise known as Maggie and Pierce of Maggie, Pierce, and EJ. You may recall hearing EJ with his band, You Purple Virgin, a couple of veg casts ago. Now Maggie and Pierce have a new album out, and you can find all the information about that album and their band and what they're doing in our show notes at VegCast.com. Science. Our science fact for this VegCast is methane's impact on climate change may be twice previous estimates. And the story from Science Daily goes as follows. When it comes to gases that trap heat in our atmosphere called greenhouse gases, scientists typically look at how much of the gases exist in the atmosphere. However, Drew Schindel, a climatologist at NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, New York, New York, believes we need to look at the greenhouse gases when they are emitted at Earth's surface instead of looking at the greenhouse gases themselves after they have been mixed into the atmosphere. And he says the gas molecules undergo chemical changes, and once they do, looking at them after they've mixed and changed in the atmosphere doesn't give an accurate picture of their effect. For example, the amount of methane in the atmosphere is affected by pollutants that change methane's chemistry, and it doesn't reflect the effects of methane on other greenhouse gases. So it's not directly related to emissions, which are what we set policies for. Uh, Further along, uh, it mentions when gases are altered, their contribution to the greenhouse warming effect also shifts. Uh, Schindel, whose study on the subject was recently published in the journal Geophysical Research Letters, uh, did some calculations and found the impact of methane on climate warming may be double the standard amount attributed to the gas. The new interpretations reveal methane emissions may account for a third of the climate warming from well-mixed greenhouse gases between the 1750s and today. And finally, Schindel says if we control methane, which the U.S. is already starting to do, then we are likely to mitigate global warming more than one would have thought. So that's a very positive outcome. Control of methane emissions turns out to be a more powerful lever to control global warming than would be anticipated. And so uh, I think I don't need to go too much into this. This is a separate study from the one uh, that we heard about in the last VegCast, the World Watch study, uh, that found that the overall effects of animal agriculture had been undercounted in assessing uh, their impact, uh, their relative impact on climate change. And within that, there was there was some correction of the amount of methane. But this is uh, saying that even given our standard understanding, methane may account for twice as much global warming as we thought before. And of course, uh, you can go to the epa.gov site to look up uh, the sources of methane, of anthropogenic methane, that is the methane that we can do something about. And uh, there is there are a lot of sources there that all relate to the raising of livestock and the disposal of said waste of livestock. Uh, so this is yet another case where uh, we have something that can be done about climate change uh, that relates directly to reducing or eliminating uh, the consumption of animal products. And I know it's a pretty obvious thing, but that is just one 
of many reasons to reduce or eliminate animal products from your diet and from the diet of as many people as we can get to pay attention to the facts. And that's why we have this feature that we like to call Science Fact. All right, before we close up the full menu of VegCast 73, I wanted to let you know about something. If you remember VegCast 50 or you want to go avail yourself of it now, uh, it was an interview with Stéphane Grolot of Quebec about vegiculture or veganic farming. And uh, he has uh, let me know about a web seminar that is coming up this Thursday, November 12th. Uh, with Ian Tallhurst. Ian is an organic consultant who runs a highly successful low-carbon veganic farm in the United Kingdom. His farm is the first to be certified stock-free organic certification program for veganic farms in the U.K. Ian is also the co-author of Growing Green, the seminal book on plant-based agriculture. This is a rare opportunity to see a seminar with Ian Tallhurst without traveling to England. So you can find information about that in our show notes, or you can just go, it's right there on the front page of the uh, website that Stefan has up there in Canada, www.goveganic.net. And I just want to remind you that VegCast is sponsored, as always, by Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. No soy, no dairy, no comparison. It's the evolution of ice cream, and that is going to do it. All right, I want to thank Dr. Rob Teddy and everybody out there at Chinoa Manor for letting us come out and wander around getting some audio and talking to people about the place. I also want to thank Maggie of Him for Her for giving us permission to play Sugar Monkey on this VegCast. And I want to thank Jonathan Saffron Fors, publicist, for sending a copy of Eating Animals for VegCast to review. And, of course, I want to thank you, the VegCast listener, for downloading and or subscribing to VegCast. We'll be back a little later in the month. Till then, get out there and live like you mean it. Veg.